Welcome to MDASH, the healthcare podcast that gives you pause. My name is Kim Aquaviva and I'm your host. Today we'll be talking with Charlie Blotner about their experiences as a trans social work student. Yeah, yeah. Give a, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so my name is Charlie Blotner. Uh, I'm a senior at Arizona State University. Um, we are at a social work conference here. We connected on Twitter, which I love because I think Twitter is such a great way for people to connect across um, different hierarchies, whether it's um, professional, whether it's across disease communities, whether it's across um, age, demographic, whatever. Um, so I love that you just put out a call to see, um, you know, are there any trans, uh, gender nonconforming, um, you know, whatever type of people here at this conference that would want to be interviewed for this podcast, and I responded. Well, I was excited to get your response, um, and also excited to see that someone else was tweeting throughout the plenary session, um, which I always I enjoy interacting with folks as we're listening to talks. Um, it makes the whole thing come alive for me a lot more than just passively sitting and, and doing that. So tell me a little bit about your identities. How do you identify yourself? What identities um, do you have and what words do you use to describe yourself? Yeah, so I would say that I identify as transgender, trans, um, transmasculine, um, as well as non-binary. I use they, them pronouns, but I'm also okay if people use he, him pronouns. Um, I think that because I'm read as a masculine, um, or more masculine person, people, for the most part, will just fall into using he, him pronouns, and that's, I'm okay with that. Um, I think a big part of my identity has to do with just being comfortable with myself and just expressing um, my, my gender how I feel um, it is. And I think that for a lot of other people, that can be kind of a strange concept or thing to understand, um, because gender, for most people, I think for most cisgender people, is something that isn't really thought about most of the time um, but for me it's something that I think about all the time whether it's you know okay I have to go to the bathroom am right. I gonna be safe going to the bathroom um, in a healthcare setting um, you know what medications are you taking oh well I'm also taking testosterone but do I do I mention that during that um, during that interaction because then that outs me as trans um, so so as you you know earlier today you mentioned that um, you began taking hormones while you're in school how has that changed the way that you've been perceived, or has it? Um, how do people read you, you know, and what is that like for you going through social work school um, during this really important transitional time? Yeah, I think, well, so I've, I've always had short hair, um, and I'd, I've always been the person in the class who people just kind of assumed to be gay, um, <laughs> which, was, which is fine and great. Um, and so I'd always been like the queer kid in the class. Um, but as I started to take um, hormones, my voice started to lower. Um, and so I think I went from being the person who people assumed to be queer to, to the queer girl to um, the really young looking gay boy. <laughs> um, and so now That's I think funny. I think a lot of people just read me as like a 15 year old gay boy. That's <laughs> and fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So, so when I go into like professional spaces, like here, like at the conference, people will ask like, oh, like who are you with? Like kind of assuming I'm like someone's kid. Yeah. Um, and, or um, in class, people will tend to ask my opinion um, more so about um, gay male issues rather than before. I think people felt a little less comfortable asking my opinion about overall queer issues. Mm -hmm. And I think that also has to do a little bit with 
um, kind of male, female, the male voices being more um, predominant and respected in classrooms and that kind of thing. Interesting. Um, so I think that's just like the basic surface level of how it's wow. changed in the classroom. But. So is it, does it feel strange being read as a young gay man? Yeah, it's it's really funny to me, but it also um, I don't mind it. I think I have I have so many gay guy right. friends. I I have a very large queer community, um, but it is something that I didn't expect. I don't think, um, and I think part of it is also like I'm very comfortable in my femininity. I'm very comfortable right. in my masculinity, and so it doesn't really matter how my like hand gestures or voice or whatever like right. manifest in my life. Um, and so I think people are going to read me however they read me. Interesting. Um, but I also think about how that will affect me going into social work or going into any sort of professional and career, career setting. Um, and I think while gay men are accepted um, in society a lot more now than they once were, mm -hmm. I think that is still not necessarily like a safe identity to be perceived as. Interesting. So as you think about embarking on a social work career, this idea that you may be read as a gay man um, is somewhat worrisome a little bit. How yeah. do you want to be read? Yeah, well, I think it's interesting because I, I always assumed that I would just kind of be read as this like straight, white, cis guy, which was kind of like gross to me because <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's like terrible. Right. Um, but so part of me is happy because I still have this like queerness to me and I didn't want to like lose that part of my identity. Right. Um, but the other part of me is, is, you know, is worried for that kind of queer vulnerability in a professional space. Um, I guess I, I would just want to be read the same as my cisgender heterosexual <laughs> counterparts would be right. read, but you can't really do that if right. you're queer. Right. So that's kind of that's kind of tough to answer. And then, yeah. um, and then thinking about how you're read too, like thinking about not only professionally but socially. Like I can, yeah. Like I try to imagine in my head, okay, if people started reading me as a young gay man, mm. for example, instead of a lesbian. Yeah. This would change so much in terms of like who interacts with me and how they interact and yeah. does it when you think about socially, yeah. Like, if you end up being read as a young gay man, yeah. is this gonna be a good thing or a bad thing in terms of dating and yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? I mean I'm sorry to ask such a personal no, question, no, but that's I was just fine. thinking no. like imagining if people read me differently, how would that yeah. have impacted my yeah. life? Yeah, well it's something that I've I'd talked about a lot with my like trans masculine friends before and recently my um, like my roommate who's a girl and like my like straight female friends, um, how a lot of trans masculine um, people when they transition their voice will be like higher still and yeah. so um, so straight girls will think that they're like gay guys and they'll just be like, oh, this is like my gay friend. Like right. he's just trying to be my like gay guy friends. And meanwhile, this like trans person is like trying to like hit on them right. or is like interested in them. And they're not Yeah, no, up on no, it. no, no, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so a lot of like trans masculine people will um, have said that they've like had a harder time uh, kind of like hitting on girls type yeah. thing. Like um, because they don't realize that these are like straight guys or whoever right. just who are interested in dating them, not that they're That's not That's really gay interesting. Guys. So they're trying yeah. to come across as, I'm hitting on you, but yeah. they're coming across as, hey, I want to be your gay best friend. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So that would be frustrating, I yeah. think, yeah. a little bit. Yeah, so that that's, that's like something that I hadn't, I guess, anticipated or like it's not something that I've like 
encountered, yeah. I guess, but it, it's something to like think about too, and that is kind of funny and like fascinating. Well, the and there time. are all these layers to identity. So, you know, you're embarking on a social work career, you've got to figure out how professionally people read you, but then socially how people read you. And it sounds like how you want to be read um, as a cis, straight guy. Uh, you also like, don't yeah. want to be read, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. there's yeah. this little, like, it sounds like a tiny piece of you that still likes being read as queer, mm -hmm. whether or not that has anything to do with orientation or not. Yeah. 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 And I think also as someone who wants to work with the queer community, mm -hmm. I am glad that I still have this part of myself that is, um, that is, like, certainly viewed that way, so. It's exciting, though, as you think about embarking on a social work career and you're thinking about you know, working with the LGBTQ community um, and thinking about your experiences, how that would influence it. How do you think your experiences as someone who identifies as transmasculine, how will those experiences influence the way that you work with clients? Yeah, well, I think, so when I was younger, you know, I first came out as gay and then I came out as non-binary and then I came out as like transmasculine, like a little bit further right. over on the spectrum. So <laughs> like I just, scooting, yeah, scooting yeah, over, yeah, yeah, right. just keep scooting over. Um, and so I think throughout, throughout my coming out process, um, there were different points in times where I either found resources or needed resources and had friends who were there for me. And I had a very, very large peer support system. And so I was really lucky with that. Um, but I grew up in the Midwest, which was mm. a little bit more conservative. Um, and now we're here in Arizona, which is also a little bit more conservative. Um, but being on a college campus and surrounded by uh, college resources is, you know, it's a huge privilege to, to be in college and be in this space where um, I'm able to just express myself and my gender identity and I think um, that I'll be working with a lot of people who are not um, you know accessing higher education or accessing um, these different people in their lives or in their communities or whether it's with their parents or their teachers at school or wherever and so kind of being able to be self-informed from my own experiences and to say um, have you considered this or these people or these resources because I have actually like been there and known right. about these different things and to be able to kind of call on uh, my own experiences to inform um, hmm. to inform the work nice. what do you wish people other healthcare professionals understood about gender and sex hmm. and identity yeah yeah well I think a lot of times and a lot of basic trainings now that are like starting in hospitals are kind of going over the 101 which is great of saying like um, the genderbred person which I love I love the genderbred yeah, person um, and I think that's great I think it's great that people are starting to kind of have a basic training of like this is what sex is this is what right. gender identity is this is what sexual orientation is uh, but I think it would be great if people were able to also kind of see or have almost like a case study presented during that training of like this is our patient who mm -hmm. came in for um, a broken leg or whatever and um, and she's trans but her case uh, her charts doesn't have the name that mm -hmm. she goes by and so every time we go to administer like a pain medication or something um, it keeps coming up as a different mm -hmm. name and so this male name keeps showing up and someone goes in to talk to her and keeps misgendering her mm -hmm. so then she's getting aggravated and then um, you know kind of explaining that dynamic of while gender identity is one very large um, 
very large part of who trans people are. Trans people don't go to the doctor just for trans issues. Right. Um, and because we are like regular people and right. patients as well. Um, and this was something that was great in one of the morning sessions today. Um, the presenter talked about how um, at her children's hospital she um, had um, suggested that they start to put in almost like a um, like a, a flag or some worth something that you can put under the patient's chart that pops up every time someone accesses mm -hmm. their chart that says, um, you know, even though this is like the legal name in the patient's uh, system, this is the name that they actually go nice. by and these are their pronouns. So that way everyone's informed, not just the one person who talked to the patient right. and then left the room. So the patient doesn't have to keep informing everyone over and over again. Um, so I think I think it's, it's the little things that actually end up being like big things. Right. Well, and, you know, the, the expression a thousand cuts, you know, that it's kind yeah. of, even though it may seem to someone who is cisgender that misgendering someone isn't a big deal, it's a huge deal. Yeah. Um, and it's tough for people to really fully understand that. Yeah. Now, as you think about becoming a social worker, like going into the field, doing this kind of work, what excites you the most? Yeah, yeah, I think I'm most excited about the hopefully opportunity to um, to work in gender clinics. And I think that there, there are more and more um, adolescent gender clinics popping up all mm -hmm. over the country now, especially on the coast. Um, and, you know, I think having the chance to to go and work with teens and their families who um, who are coming in and saying, you know, I'm not so sure about this for my yeah. kid or, um, you know, my kid, my kid has mentioned this thing, but like, what is this? And um, are there resources out here for us to learn more about it? Or um, what kind of care is available? What what is what's the research? Um, and hopefully, being able to build upon that research mm -hmm. too, um, because there are huge gaps in research right now. Um, and so, hopefully, being able to work on some of those research projects as well. So, if you like, could do any kind of research you want on these topics. Do you have like a dream for yeah, what you would want yeah. to do? Yeah, I actually, um, fingers crossed, have like proposed a research project right now. So really? I, I don't want to talk about it because, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you about crossed. it afterwards. Oh, that's so cool. Um, yeah. Well, I'll um, keep my fingers crossed. There are huge gaps. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that we know from the research funding perspective, there's not enough funding out there. NIH has recently made uh, what they call SGM, sexual and gender minorities, yeah. the priority population. Yeah. Um, which is fabulous, yeah. but a tiny percentage of the dollars at NIH go to yeah. doing any kind of yeah. um, research. And in general, most of the research has kind of a pathologizing uh, or disease-focused lens. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's true not just around SGM, but also around sexuality in general. Mm -hmm. um, really nothing on normal sexual response. And, yeah. you know, unless it's a dysfunction or a disease, there's really not money to study it currently. Yeah. So. yeah. And a lot of it is also about kind of the, um, the physical nature of it. And so examining, right. well, um, you know, if we, we can do phalloplasty now and, um, this is a surgery that has a lot of, it's a very high complication surgery. Right. Um, and so how can we improve that surgery, which is like very important and great that they're looking into that, but also it's, the research is focused on something that um, researchers assume that transmasculine people um, care about the most out of all right. trans research because a penis must make a man. <laughs> exactly. um, but that's not that's right. not uh, necessarily true. And so when I've I recently put a call out on Twitter to trans people asking, you know, if you could, if you could talk to researchers, if you had the ear of um, you know any physician physician or researcher, um, and you you asked uh, you could ask or tell them. 
uh, what you were interested in these gaps of research, what, what would you say? Because um, I'm giving a talk um, in the spring about standards of care and, oh, uh, nice. and research and um, and what they came back with and said was, um, you know, what about what about pain management related to chest binding? Yeah. Um, what about um, surgeries outside of outside of phalloplasty? Because yeah. the only surgical research is really phalloplasty, um, and the surgeries related to uh, the research related to top surgery. Most of it is um, how can we make these surgeries look more. Um, aesthetically cisgender Um, but that's not necessarily what trans patients want that's what the researchers and surgeons assume that that's really interesting yeah yeah and so I mean I have a whole thread on Twitter if people want to look at it I can send it to you but Um, it doesn't surprise me though that what people are interested in differs from what researchers think they're interested in and I think also there tends to be this lens of okay well clearly if someone uh, was assigned female sex at birth, and now they identify as male. Obviously, penis, most important thing yeah. in the world. Yeah. Um, not recognizing that that's such a tiny piece yeah. of who a person is, um, and it also do, it's kind of reductive in looking at sexuality. Mm-hmm. Also, which is yeah. uh, there are a lot of folks who choose not to have surgery, mm-hmm. um, and you can buy a penis. So there's really you know what I mean. You don't yeah. need to have invasive yes. surgery. Yes. But I think that traditional lens of like we must tag on a body part in order to make them complete. Um, It doesn't surprise me that that's kind of the medical model, um, which is interesting. But it's fascinating too, the piece about the top surgery and what people's desires are in terms of of what they would, I would think also pain management um, around around that surgery would be a question. And then the, the other thing that I've wondered about, you know, long-term risks for hormones, um, yeah. helping people, there's some research starting to look at that, um, but what it means to age as a trans person mm-hmm. and what are ways that we can help people age healthy. Yeah, um, yeah. so there's a study um, going on at uh, Emory right now. Mm-hmm. And so it started in 2013 and it's supposed to wrap up this year. Um, between like Emory and Kaiser, and it was um, uh, Pecori, Pecori funded the grant. Um, and so they've put out a couple kind of like pre- preliminary findings. Most of it relates more so to like psychosocial health and um, kind of community support, um, which I was a little bummed to see. I mean, it's obviously this is very important right. work, um, but I was hoping that it would be more based on long-term outcomes, yeah. um, physical health. Right. Um, but there is, there is a component of it that does focus on that. Um, and uh, so he sent me over the, the PI um, sent me over the slides some slides from that, that I can send to you interesting um, and um, so that should be coming out soon um, and so far I mean things look like okay it's they good. don't they don't look like bad I was That's like good. oh is it the end of the world like, no. ah, but no. am I killing myself but I'm not yeah. so we're good no and you know what, I mean, um, what we know about you know the data and the yeah. research for folks who are trans who want to be able to live as the gender that they are but can't, there are huge life risks exactly. associated yeah. with that. And so it yeah. is a life-saving thing to right. be living in the gender that you are. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm interested in kind of how we manage um, hormones and other medications in a way that's healthy as opposed to looking at it from a pathology standpoint. Mm-hmm. So, exactly. um, you know, not, oh, don't take these hormones because they're bad for you, but exactly, these are yeah. the screenings that mm-hmm. you need yeah. So that we yeah. can keep someone healthy yeah. over time. Yeah. And the, the transgender community, specifically um, the transmasculine community, I don't know why the transmasculine more than the trans feminine, um, but on Instagram is enormous. Really? And so it's why? Wild. I wonder why more. That's 
Interesting. I know, I know. But so there's there's such a focus on the visual, um, and so interesting. So yeah, so tracking this quote unquote progress of um, of physical changes, and so whether it's wow. muscle definition yeah. or fat redistribution, um, healing after surgery, um, whatever it may be. Um, and there's specific language that people use that is very much so. Um, sometimes I worry that people are uh, being a little too. Um, uh, sexist or that like it almost like feeds Isn't into itself yeah yeah um but so almost embracing masculinity mm-hmm. and maleness yeah too far circle. yeah yeah wow. <laughs> yeah um but so people people are asking these questions about health uh within instagram uh in these like private like communities um and they're asking these questions but these answers um and any answer to them really um, isn't available. It's not reflected in research or anywhere. Wow. Um, so that's a little like hint at the research I proposed. So but. here's a body image question. Yeah. So if that's kind of the community that's out there and you're seeing yeah. on Instagram, is there a lot of pressure? Do you feel pressure um, as someone who's transmasculine yeah. to fit this masculine ideal that's out there? Yeah. Well, so. I like personally I'm like very comfortable with myself and my body and like right. I've always just been like I call myself like a tiny tot like I'm just like <laughs> super like twiggy and it's right. like whatever um, but within within this community on Instagram you see a lot of people posting like progress pictures like one month on tea like two months through, and there'll be like a comparison photo of like pre-tea versus like six yeah. months or whatever and I totally see like the affirmation in that and people documenting their changes and how great they feel um, looking at that and a lot of people also find community in kind of um, in seeing that that transformation and within like going to the gym and weightlifting and that is kind of what they've always wanted to be able to do and see and feel comfortable in um but i think a lot of it also still fits the very stereotypical like masculine life yeah yeah um so that has been fascinating to look at and to kind of you know sit back and and think about well and unpacking gender like you've now had one could argue um you know it's it's not necessarily a blessing, right? If you're assigned the sex at birth that is not in alignment with your gender identity, it's hard to spin this as kind of a positive, but you have the advantage of seeing gender through two lenses, mm-hmm. and that's gotta be fascinating. I think it is, yeah. I mean, I, not everyone thinks it is, but I personally right. do. No, but, yeah. I mean, it, but I can tell yeah. that you're fascinated yeah. by it. Yeah. So as you're looking, like, it's almost like you're now part of a world that you were looking in on mm-hmm. from afar and now you're in it. Yeah. And so does being does being transmasculine, is it what you thought it would be? Like is it how is it different? How is it yeah. sorry to ask you so many questions? No, no, but, yeah. Um, I mean it's fascinating because you have this rare opportunity. Not many people have that journey. Um, I don't know. It's just yeah. very cool. So yeah. is it is it what you thought it would be? Like, is it different? Is it? I guess so. I I looked at this community on like Instagram for yeah. like years, and I before I came out as gay, I was always like, wow, that would be that would, it'd be so hard to be gay. I'm so glad I'm not gay. Right. Um, and then before I came out as trans, I I thought to myself, wow, it'd be so hard to be trans. I'm so glad I'm not trans. Um, and I had like several friends who were like trans, so like I knew what trans was. I knew yeah. it would be like okay-ish to like me for me to be trans within my kind of like community. Um, but it took me a long time to be like comfortable within myself to come out. 
Um, but I like watched these communities of people for a long time, and I always thought, I always thought like, wow, this is fascinating. It would be so amazing for me to to yeah. be like that. Um, and um, and there's a huge community on on YouTube as well, but that's more kind of people like vlogging about right. their like life. It's a little bit different there. It's it's less inner community and more individual. Um, but I think now that this is like me and my life, it's just, it's very, it's just very like affirming, and I just feel like very affirmed as a person, and I I'm just very like happy. Nice. Um, so I think there wasn't really like anticipation. I think there was a little bit of nervousness, um, nervousness of like not knowing what to expect, even though I could like visually see right. what to like maybe expect, but also knowing that everyone's like body and health is different and also knowing that I had had previous like health challenges yeah. and so being a little bit extra nervous because like most people don't have other like yeah. health, major health histories so you're um, a little worried about like how all of that would come into play yeah yeah so but, are you enjoying any like male privilege yet like oh my what's god that it's like? terrible I mean no I mean it's not terrible right, like right. it's it's <laughs> like I navigate the world with ease but it's terrible to see to see male privilege reflected in society so um like I was at a bar with a couple of friends over the weekend and um I would be like served before like these friends were um, who were like girls, um, which typically like doesn't happen because right. usually like girls are like served yeah. first. But, um, but just seeing that and noticing like, wow, did they serve me first? Like because I was like red as a guy, um, or guys um, respecting my opinion more than mm. girls in class, or even in like discussion boards. Like because like my name will show up as like Charlie, and yeah. like they'll just be like, oh, like this is probably a guy. Yeah. So I'm, I think that his response probably warranted like. Wow more respect than this like girl like Jessica or something wow. so that's interesting yeah. though and yeah. then as you're experiencing that and you're thinking about you know you're going into social work as a career mm-hmm. how are you going to navigate it as a social worker or will it change how you navigate the world well I think it's always important to like call out any like injustice that right. you see or to always you know I think in my life like prior to being like read as like male I think I would have said something like anyways and so I hope that I will always continue to like say something when I see something um I think now I just have more power to what Mm -hmm. I say um so which is so like terrible (laughs) that that is but it's interesting though but well thank you for taking the time to talk with me today I really appreciate it yeah thanks You've been listening to MDASH, the healthcare podcast that gives you pause. Tweet your questions, comments, and suggestions to at M underscore dash underscore podcast. Music used in this episode of MDASH came from John Wright. Titles and information about the music can be found in 